0: Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: I think we're being recorded, so I'm gonna watch what I say like a gentleman.
2: Is this any better on the audio level? Oh no. What's the cleanup work? Uh, I don't see anything in the chat. Mark, do you?
1: No. But what do I know? I don't know computers. My Commodore 64 doesn't normally show me everything.
2: I have to tell you that joke is not working. That came through. <laughs> From Offscript Media, this is Am I Dying?, a conversational podcast about your symptoms and what to do next. I'm Dr. Chris Kelly. And I'm Dr. Mark Eisenberg. We're doctors who just happen to be close friends, and we're ready to answer the vital question, should you chill out or freak out? All right. In today's episode, we are talking about a rapidly evolving topic and one that affects both us as doctors and you as uh, people who are seeing doctors. And that is uh, home monitoring, wearables, all these like, devices and gadgets that are out there to help you measure your health in some way uh, between doctors visits. Mark, is this something that you deal with a lot in your practice?
1: Yes. And at first, it was very exciting as a doctor because you want your patients to what they call partake in their medical care, right? We want people to actually participate in their care.
2: I want that. It sounds good.
1: But then after a while, what you found is a certain population, a certain group of people, actually, it starts to make them more anxious and they start to freak out. And then at 9pm on a Saturday night, you're starting to get all these emails from people trying to show you their heart rhythms and their blood pressures. And their and it's like crazy, you know, like doctors need breaks too, right?
2: <laughs> Not you. <laughs> okay, so, so let's jump into this. So we're, we're going to talk about the different types of devices and monitors that are out there. And we're gonna to try to talk about for each one when it is useful and when, as Mark says, it, it kinda can just drive you crazy and, and make you worry about things that you really shouldn't have to worry about. Let's start with the simplest thing, actually. The first real major home device uh, for monitoring, I, I think was the step counter, the step tracker.
1: Oh, that's true. You know, how many steps you walk a day, walk a day. Yeah.
2: Fitbit was raised, basically built off of that step counting. And there was this dogma that is still repeated often that you need to get 10,000 steps in per day.
1: Yeah. But does anyone really understand? Is that like three miles? Does it depend on the length <laughs> of your, you know, what, what is that?
2: What if you have a very shuffling gait and each step is only a few <laughs> inches? Plus
1: also, there's some question about whether it's really counting your steps or it's going by GPS, right?
2: Well, no. So most of the original step counters, and, and I'm pretty sure most of them still are used an accelerometer. So it's looking at sudden sort of changes in acceleration and deceleration and sort of guessing from that, that a phone or a device is on your pocket and swinging back and forth.
1: I'm not sure. I think some of like the phones and stuff, it's all GPS.
2: So to count a step, a step is defined as your legs moving, not as the distance that you've traveled. And the only way that you can define a leg in motion is acceleration, deceleration of said leg or the arm swinging by your side. So the step counters are all using accelerometers. There are devices now like the Apple Watch and some fancier Fitbits that have GPSs built into them and they can tell you like if you've just completed a run how far you went. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not step counting. Step counting is accelerometer. I I think that it was a good thing, an overall positive actually when step counters became more popular because I think people were just paying a little more attention to how much they were moving over the course of the day and trying to move more. And you know, you can debate exactly how accurate these step counters are. But I think that it, if it inspires you to move more, that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, and I think the more useful thing was like my whole office decided to like have a competition, you know, that they all got the same like thing and they just decided who every every week they they calculated how many steps they walked and whoever won like a like $100 gift card at the end of like the two months. That's pretty good. No, because it forced everyone to competitive. I, to, I, I didn't even play in that because I was like, I, I know I'm going to beat everyone.
2: Not a lot of people know this, but most smartphones have step counters in them too. Um, smartphones have accelerometers built into them, and the iPhone I know does a step count. The issue there, though, is that the phone has to be in your pocket all day long every time you move for that to be accurate.
1: Don't you just leave yours in your wife's car so, like, your wife drives around all day and it looks <laughs> like you've gone like 22 miles
2: well see the thing is i leave it on my desk at work wow. and i'm running around like going back and forth seeing patients running all over the place and my phone's not with me so it's not a very accurate representation of how many steps i'm taking and so uh i don't know i don't know do you get ten thousand steps in oh easily but you know because i walk to work because of uh you know i'm trying to avoid the subway these days anyway the um is that because of covid or yeah. because of your OCD? well, co-
1: covid ocd is still last year why don't we get to the next one is the uh heart rate monitors right
2: yeah, so heart rate monitors were kind of, I think, the next wave of devices. And heart rate monitors become really popular not because your heart rate is something that everyone should be checking, but because it's something that is cheap to do and, and it was yeah. pretty e- easy for them to make it. And so just to make it clear for people how these are working, they're not really monitoring your heartbeats per se. What they're monitoring is waves of oxygen-rich blood coming through your wrist or into your finger, depending on where the device is.
1: Oh, you just have to put it on your finger? <laughs>
2: Well, if you have an oxygen-like plophysmograph, you are. What are you doing? No
1: wonder. (laughs) Anyway, go on.
2: But if it's like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, obviously, it's on your wrist. And so basically, the way this works is that uh, blood interacts with uh, light differently, depending on how much oxygen is in it, because that affects the iron configuration. And so these waves of blood coming through your wrist from your heart beating are counted, And the, you know, the number of waves in a minute is estimated as your heart rate. Mm -hmm. So So wait,
1: wait, just to review, heart rate is the same thing for everybody as pulse, like that you learned how to take when you were in like high school or middle school gym. Uh, You know, the normal heart rate or pulse for people is 60 to 100 uh, per minute below 60. They call bradycardia, which is Greek for slow heartbeat and above 100 is tachycardia above, you know, fast.
2: So it's pretty pretty accurate. You know, I think that the the good, like the Apple Watches and the higher end Fitbits are are pretty good about getting you an accurate heart rate. They break down a little bit, I think, when your heart starts going really fast. So when you really, really exercise, I think the amount of error increases.
1: Yeah. Like anyone on a treadmill. When you walk when you're jogging on like a treadmill at the gym and you see that, you see once it hits above like 120, 130, it could like fluctuate drastically. Like it can look like it can look like you're 160 and then all of a sudden it looks like you're 70. It's not that, it's just not cal- counting every beat.
2: And some of that has to do with how tightly it's sort of uh, adhering to your skin and you know how well it can read the blood going through there um if your watch is kind of flopping all over the place it's not going to be very accurate um and some of the cheaper devices are just not as good too and then
1: there's so many ways people can like follow their heart rate and then graph it how useful do you honestly think it is and then i'll give you my opinion
2: well i think it depends on what you're doing um i think that if you're tracking yourself just for exercise purposes and you're an endurance athlete or you're trying to become one, it can be helpful. I mean, in those situations, sometimes trying to reach a target heart rate. And if this helps you reach your target heart rate while you're exercising, Mm -hmm. which for many people is about 85% of their predicted max, which is 220 minus their age, uh, then that's good. But I think that people aren't using them for that for the most part. I think most people are just sitting around obsessing over their heart rates and not exercising and I think there it can cause some issues
1: Mm -hmm. look just so people could understand this is sort of a generalization but heart rate that goes up slowly during exercise and then comes down quickly during recovery is usually a sign someone's in good shape. So well-conditioned people, their heart rate goes from like 60, 70, 80, you know, 110, and then once you ex- you know, relax, um, it drops very quickly. That's a sign people are in very good shape, usually. Uh, people who are deconditioned, which is a nice medical term to saying out of shape, uh, your heart rate goes like from 60 to 130 right away in the first minute. So people who are out of shape, the heart rate goes up very quickly. And, and it then takes during a re- to come down. Exactly. During recovery, it takes forever to come down. So it might be helpful for people to say, wow, my heart rate went up pretty quickly. And it's just only useful that, you know, you should then keep exercising. So hopefully in a few weeks it won't.
2: I don't know about you, Mark, but I get a lot of patients who come into the office. Number one, the, the sort of first category is like, my heart rate goes up a lot during exercise. It goes up to 150, 160. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, you know, you're, 20, you're 25 years old. That's normal. <laughs> you're supposed to go up that high. And then the other people are just like, well, you know, my heart rate is kind of all over the place. Sometimes it's 60, sometimes it's 80. And my response to that is, well, that's not necessarily abnormal in fact it's normal for your heart rate to vary over the course of the day depending on what you're doing you know when you're a little more active it's gonna be a little higher when you're resting it's gonna be a little lower stress anxiety caffeine poor sleep are all going to affect it too totally Um, so i I think that then that setting it it can cause a lot of unnecessary anxiety one other situation i don't know if you put any value on this is people who are having like bothersome palpitations
1: exactly that's where it's useful
2: yeah. So, so what do you, what do you tell people in that setting? Like, let's say somebody's having palpitations and they're thinking about getting a device to track it. Do you recommend that Mark?
1: No. So the reg- we'll talk about it probably after our break, when we get to some of the other devices, I actually recommend one of those EKG monitor ones for those people, but it might, this might be useful if someone's like, wait, every now and again, I have these palpitations and my heart rate all of a sudden goes from 80 to like 150 and it stays at 150 for two or three minutes, that's useful because the thing that all cardiologists are looking out for in people is whether they have something called atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter because that actually puts them in a totally different category of treatment, needing blood thinners, which we have a whole – I think we have a whole other podcast talking about that under palpitations. So it's useful if someone could come up with that, but I think that would probably be one in like 500 people that would find that, don't you think?
2: It's so rare, honestly, yeah. that people – come in with a neat story. Like I have palpitations, my heart watch monitors, you know, suddenly jumps quickly and and then
1: stays there for two minutes, not just for like one second.
2: Yeah. I think, I think most of the time it's more, you know, uh, the people are looking at their heart rate monitors and that is driving the symptoms rather than, you know, being used to monitor symptoms. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about, you know, if you're having palpitations, what, what is more useful uh, in most cases than, than looking at your, Pulse monitor, which can sometimes be inaccurate and and, and sometimes, as I said, drives it kind of the other way around. makes you feel like you're having palpitations, even if you're not. So we'll be right back. Stick with us.
0: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. All right, we're back.
2: We are talking about home monitoring devices that monitor various aspects of your body and when those are useful, when they're not so useful. We talked first about step counters, which are great if they help you, you know, get more motivated to exercise. Not so great if you're just looking at the numbers and not changing your behavior. Then we're talking about heart rate like I do. Uh, yeah, then we're don't, talking. Don't you, don't
1: you? Didn't you do a whole experiment watching how your heart rate changed after four beers?
2: <laughs> it goes up, um, you know, for everybody. Um, so yeah, then we're talking about heart rate. And, you know, if you're using it for fitness tracking, trying to reach target heart rate, it can be good. Uh, it otherwise might not be as helpful. If you, if you have palpitations, and you can basically feel, feel your heart racing, and that's bothersome, and you can establish a clear pattern on your heart rate monitoring device, that's also helpful. But We don't usually recommend that you get a pulse monitor if you have palpitations. Instead, it's more useful to monitor your EKG. And and that's that's not looking at your heart rate only. It's looking also at your heart rhythm. Basically, if your heart rate is abnormal, why is it abnormal and what is the rhythm causing that to happen?
1: (laughs) Of course, we should add nothing compares to actually getting a real EKG at a doctor's office.
2: That's right. But if you're having palpitations on and off, occasionally you might not have them at all while you're in your doctor's office. And And it can
1: say, you know, in the past people would come to a doctor with this complaint of palpitations and then doctors would put these monitors on you like halter. This could save you from having to go home wearing like a big monitor for a few days.
2: Right. I should mention that the halters of your when you were growing up, Mark, in like the fifties, <laughs> are not the halters of, of now. So Oh, you
1: mean the the ones that were the size of a car and you have to push them around all day? Exactly.
2: So the if your doctor sends you home with a heart rate monitor for a week or two weeks, it's not like this vest and horrible thing with wires sticking out everywhere like it used to be. It's usually just a little sticker that goes around. Yeah on that the you chest. put
1: a, yeah. And you can even shower with it.
2: Exactly. But if you don't want to see a doctor first and you want to kind of evaluate things a little bit yourself, there are things that you can get that don't require a doctor's prescription. One that I often uh, recommend to patients is called the Cardia, the K-A-R-D-I-A, which is a device by a company called AliveCore, connects to your iPhone and you put your two fingers on it and it will record an EKG right there on the spot.
1: It's great. The um, again, we don't. We're not being supported by any of these companies. We're talking about. It's just the one we happen to use.
2: Yeah, but a lot or If you do want to sponsor us, feel free to reach out. I'm really looking for a nice Caribbean cruise. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. So, um, so this device I think is super helpful for people who have like palpitations that bother them. So they feel yeah. their heart racing or skipping beats, especially if they're not that frequent. Exactly. Um, and it's kind of hard to catch one. Just, you know, throw this in your backpack or your purse. And when you have some palpitations, pull it out and you can record an EKG. It can be a lot better than, you know, if your symptoms only occur once every two or three weeks, even if a doctor puts a week-long monitor on you, you might not catch it. But by using this thing, you can exactly. always grab it.
1: People always complain in the past that they wore a monitor for a month but they didn't have any of their symptoms so it was useless. but this is actually great. The moment you have your symptoms you could you know put your fingers on the thing and it will read in, you know have a reading of an EKG and then you could actually email it to your doctor. you know the actual company has it so you could email it to their people and then you pay a fee but if you have a good relationship with your doctor or whoever is taking care of you, you should just be able to email them to your doctor. So I actually found that this weekend. Someone emailed me and I knew they were in a rapid rate called atrial fibrillation and could call and blood thinner, so it actually is very, very useful. Th- this monitor,
2: yeah, I and you I... can
1: get it. You can get it's about eighty to ninety dollars. So basically, it's being sold at multiple places, from like Amazon to the actual website to, I think Best Buy even has it. So it's anywhere between eighty to a hundred dollars.
2: So. There are other devices that do this too. The newer Apple Watches, for example, will also record an EKG and they're also accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, The Apple Watch is, I guess, a little more convenient in the sense that it's always on you and uh, you don't have to dig around in your bag to pull it out like you do the Cardia. Uh, The downside, though, is that it costs a lot more. It's yeah. a couple hundred dollars instead of 85 90 bucks like the Cardio.
1: But it looks cool depending on what band you pick,
2: right? <laughs> but it can be stylish. And obviously the Apple Watch serves a lot of other purposes too, uh, depending on whether you want to get notifications and other things on your wrist. I hated it and got rid of mine, but some people like that. So getting an EKG can be helpful. One situation where these things are not so helpful uh, for me, and I, I like to point this out to patients, is if we're concerned you could have atrial fibrillation because you had a stroke or some other thing that makes us think you have AFib, but you're not having symptomatic palpitations, these devices aren't that helpful. Because if we're looking for an abnormal rhythm that isn't causing any symptoms, then you don't, I mean, these things only take a recording when your fingers are on them. Mm -hmm. And so if you have an abnormal rhythm while you're sleeping in the middle of the night or at other times when you're not aware of it, obviously these aren't going to catch it. Even the Apple Watch might not catch it unless you're actually triggering an EKG. So just one little caveat. Uh, that I like to tell people. So, okay, next category of home devices we should talk about is blood pressure monitors. Yeah, which I'm all,
1: I'm all for. In fact, I should order one for
2: myself. (laughs) So Mark, why don't you tell people why they should be monitoring themselves at home for blood? Yeah.
1: So everyone's fixated with their heart rate, but to be honest, it's your blood pressure that could be the problem because we also have a podcast on hypertension or high blood pressure. You know, hypertension is the silent killer. So people feel fine and they have no clue what their blood pressure is, but it's clearly people with elevated blood pressure for a prolonged period of time are at higher risk of having heart attacks, strokes, kidney problems, dementia later in life. You know, there's a whole slew of problems you could have. So the blood pressure monitors are very useful. They're also very useful for people who every time they go to a doctor's office, their blood pressure's high. They could just be there nervous. It's called white coat hypertension. They see somebody with a white coat And nowadays, like the staff in the front who checks you in, wear white coats. So it could even start then, (laughs) you know. Basically, at
2: Columbia, the people working in the cafeteria wear white
1: coats. (laughs) No wonder every time I. Anyway, um, so it's very useful for you to actually take your blood pressure when you're actually comfortable in your house, like when you're sitting around watching TV, to see what it
2: really is. So checking your blood pressure is great, and it it provides additional data too. I mean, going into your doctor's office is one thing. That provides one data point. As you said, it can sometimes be elevated the opposite can occur too you can have something called masked hypertension where your blood pressure is actually high most of the time but for whatever reason when you're in the doctor's office it runs a little low well actually so, i have a good reason why is that because
1: most people who come to doctors let's say once a year or every six months they come and get their bloods done so they're fasting
2: Ah, uh, yeah right so they're so they're dehydrated dehydrate is-
1: yeah so a lot of times their blood pressure could be falsely lower than normal because they haven't eaten anything they haven't had their coffee they haven't like had anything salty
2: I read once also that another reason is when people have super stressful home lives Mm -hmm. and they come to the doctor's (laughs) office and take a break when they can get away from their annoying family, Uh, but when they go home, their blood pressure goes right back up because they're thrown back into the lion's den. Bottom line is that having home blood pressure values can really provide a lot more information than just the ones in the office, Mm -hmm. but then the question becomes what kind of blood pressure monitor should you have? Uh, so I talk to my patients about this a lot. Number one, I think the ones that go on the upper arm between the elbow and the shoulder are much more accurate than the ones exactly. that go on the forearm. Or
1: the unless, unless you're like 18 years old, the wrist ones are not gonna be that accurate because as you get older, you know, you, you have like calcification in the vessels, so the wrist ones could be falsely high.
2: And uh, the, there's actually a list online. If you go to a website called validatebp.org, there is a list of validated, accurate blood pressure cuffs that you can get online or at a drugstore that are actually good and will provide true values. Unlike there's a lot of ones out there, especially kind of the cheaper ones that may not be so accurate. So if you're interested in buying a blood pressure cuff, you know, instead of saving five bucks and getting something worthless, make sure you get a high quality cuff and you can check out websites like validatebp.org. I
1: I think most of them cost between like 45 and $65, wouldn't you say? We're not talking like hundreds. We're just talking, you can probably get a really good one for like 50 or 60 bucks.
2: Absolutely.
1: Um, Um, And you know, it's probably useful for you to also bring the blood pressure monitor to the doctor's office and have them compare it.
2: You should definitely do that.
1: Another quick trick is if you have the ones that have batteries and you haven't used it for a while, sometimes taking the batteries out and then putting them back in recalibrates the blood pressure machine.
2: As I mentioned on our blood pressure podcast, a newer technology, which I am using in my office to great effect, is blood pressure cuffs that have cellular or Wi-Fi connections. And I have a lot of patients who have those. And they can use those to automatically upload all of their blood pressure readings to me so that when I see them, instead of them having to bring in this paper, handwritten log of all their blood pressures or me going through the machine sort of one by one by one looking at all of them, I get a graph of all the blood pressures over time. And that's extremely useful.
1: Gotcha. Before before we finish, want to just talk about another thing, the sleep stuff?
2: Yeah. So th- there's a couple other categories which we're just going to touch on really briefly. One is sleep monitoring devices. What do you think of those, Mark?
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't have one.
2: So there are some devices which get prescribed to you by a doctor to take home and test for things like sleep apnea. Those That's
1: are great. Helpful. Those are great and very helpful. But these other stuff, I mean, aren't they just sort of like narcissistic?
2: These things that purport to sort of read your sleep patterns and help you sleep better. I, I don't think there's a lot of evidence they really work that well. No. So... If you think you might have sleep apnea because you're tired throughout the day and you snore loudly and maybe you have a sort of big neck circumference or you're a few pounds overweight.
1: You're looking at me as you (laughs) say.
2: Then talking to your doctor about getting a device to monitor your sleep apnea can be super helpful, but otherwise I'm not sure. And then let's just quickly talk about glucose monitoring. For people with diabetes, continuous glucose monitors have been revolutionary. So these are things that, you know, sit in your skin for weeks at a time, monitor your blood glucose continuously and allow uh, people with diabetes to really know where they're at, uh, dose their insulin more accurately, and just live better, higher quality lives. There is this kind of weird movement too, where non-diabetics are being sold on glucose monitors, and I don't think that really has any value.
1: Definitely not. The other thing that's useful for people with diabetes is when not only does it tell you your sugar, it tells you if it's going up or going down. So especially for people who have lows, all of a sudden there could be, you know, an arrow pointing down to say that if you don't eat something in in the near future, you can get dizzy. Um, Quick, quick one other thing, and then we should just talk about oxygen monitors very quickly. Back to the blood pressure monitor or any of these type of monitors, they're helpful if you know how to use them appropriately. But some people show me their blood pressures and they take it four times a day. I mean, that is just horrible. Like maybe you need to do that for a day or two at a time just when you're figuring out what dose of a medication. But for people who every day of the week like do four times a day of blood pressure or four times a day or, or study their sleep cycles, if it becomes paralyzing or you're really feeling like a patient all the time. None of this stuff is useful to you.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. You need to know what you're doing and you need to have training and you need to make sure that you're speaking with your doctor or a nurse or someone about it just to make sure that you're yeah. contextualizing yeah. the data correctly.
1: And and then the last thing, the oxygen monitors, the pulse ox, honestly, they've only become useful since COVID, you know, because if you do happen to have COVID, it actually is useful to see what your oxygen level is to know when you should possibly go to the emergency room. But all these people who just check their oxygen when they're feeling fine, it's kind of useless, don't you think? Especially because wearing, like, for women wearing, like, nail polish, you could falsely make it seem like they don't have oxygen.
2: Yeah, and... The new Apple Watch kind of brags of its ability to monitor your oxygen concentration, but I'm not yet convinced that that is useful for anybody uh, other than people maybe who have chronic lung disease and do need to monitor their oxygen levels. So uh, on that note, we will wrap it up. Hope that that was a useful overview of the various devices that are used for home monitoring. Any doubt, ask your doctor uh, if it's something worthwhile for you given your specific condition. Uh, don't waste your money on things that are promising miracles. Most of them really don't deliver on that front. Uh, but checking your blood pressure can be helpful, and certain devices can help you figure out the cause of your palpitations if you have those. Mark, anything left to add?
1: Nope, you've done a great job.
2: As always, I try. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Am I Dying is a production of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Devin Tun is our production intern. Am I Dying is recorded, mixed, and edited by Ariel Nachman. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments and feedback. For more information, visit Offscript. One, two...